You're listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. All right. Well, hello, Grace Family Church. My name is Hal Mayer. I'm the campus pastor at the Temple Terrace campus. I'd like to welcome you all here, all of you that are watching online, of course, at all of our seven campuses. And really, we're in our last week of our series, The War Within. If you missed it, you need to go back and watch it. The first week, Pastor Craig talked about the fact that we do have truth. We have truth that we can rely on. We have the truth in the Bible that we can rest our faith in. And then last week, Pastor Ralph talked about how we can guard our minds and how we set up those, those basically those walls around our minds. So the falsities of this world don't get in. And today what we're gonna be talking about is really, I think, one of the biggest battlefields in our minds, and that is for our identity. Because I believe this, one of our biggest battles in the world today, I think we would all agree on this, is people don't know who they are. I mean, we see this, and it's an important thing because if you don't know your identity, you don't know what you're supposed to do. I mean, a big example of this, I think, it was back in early 2000s, there was this guy who, uh, who was beat up behind a Burger King, and he was beat up incredibly badly. Uh, he was ripped off, they took his wallet, they took everything on him, and when he woke up, they found out that he had amnesia. He had no idea who he was. So they fingerprinted him, he wasn't in the database. They put his face up on things, no one knew who he was. So for eight years, actually 11 years, this guy didn't have an identity. This guy had no idea who he was. In fact, he was known as the guy with amnesia who was beat up behind the Burger King. And because he was the Burger King, the BK, he named himself Benjamin Kyle. Very interesting. But this guy, because for those 11 years, he wasn't able to get an identification. Because of that, he wasn't able to get a job. He wasn't able uh, to register to vote. He wasn't able to get a driver's license. He wasn't able uh, to be taxed by the IRS, which is a good thing, I guess. But... He wasn't able to do so much. And actually it wasn't until that 11th year that a DNA company came in, they took his DNA and they found his brother in some other Midwest state and found out who he was. But for that period of time, he was lost. See, I I think that's what's happening today in this world. So many of us, we don't know what our identity is. And because of that, we're so lost in what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live our lives. See, God wants to give us our identity, but so does culture. And what culture loves to do is this, is they say, hey, you don't need your identity in God, you need your identity in you, right? You can be your own person, right? That's why it's all about self-image, self-esteem, self-care, self-love. The answer to everything in your life is deep inside of you, right? But God created us as dependents, We're supposed to get our relationship. We're supposed to have our identity from him. So when we're trying to get our identity from the world, it comes up short every time. The funny thing is, I hear people say all the time, how you don't understand if you really wanna live a full life, Christianity is just a crutch. And I disagree with the full life side, but I do agree with the crutch side because here's the deal. When you have a broken leg, a crutch is a good thing. And we live in a broken world that needs help. So Christianity comes alongside, God comes alongside and tells us who we are. And truly, here's what happens. Daily, in our minds, there is a battle going on. Daily, in our minds, there is a battle going on between whose we are and who we are. That's what our daily battle is. Whose we are and who we are. See, God knew this was so incredibly important that he actually started off the Bible that way. He started off his relationship with Adam and Eve that way. And in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, you see that. He says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Does that mean we look like God? No, 
What is God? God is spirit. We are spiritual beings. Sometimes we forget that. We are spiritual beings. And it says in there, it says to make us like us. Who is he referring to? Wasn't God alone? No, the Holy Spirit and Jesus was there. He said, you're gonna look like us. He says, they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry around on the ground. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Is he trying to get across a point? You are God's image bearer. It says male and female, he created them. See, God started off, Adam and Eve knew exactly whose they were, right? They were God's, why? Because God created them. And they knew who they were. They were God's image bearers. It says we were created in his own image. That's what God says to us. He says, I need you to understand you are mine. I created you for a purpose. You are my image bearer and there's purpose in that. The problem is we have an enemy, don't we? See, here's what Satan loves to do. Satan can't create anything. He can't, he can only distort. He can only counterfeit what God has already made. So what Satan loves to do, he loves to come alongside and take what God says and he distorts it. And that's exactly what he did with Eve. He goes, Eve, hey, you, you can eat from that, from that tree in the middle of the garden. She goes, I don't think I can, it may kill me. And in Genesis three, four to five, he reassures her. He says, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like God. What is he saying? You can be your own God, what, do we, what does our pride want? We wanna be our own God. He says, knowing both good and evil. See, this is so perfect because that's Satan's original sin. He was prideful. He, he thought to himself, if I was God, this is the way I would do things. Guys, how many times in our life do we look at what's happening and in our minds we go, if I was God, things would be different. Isn't it funny we judge God on that? How prideful is that? How prideful is it to, to say that we understand everything that's happening so much that we would do things different? I mean, you even see many religions that say, hey, you can be your own God. Well, Adam and Eve learned very quickly, they were bad at it. We're bad at being our own God. And the problem was sin came into the picture. Sin separated us from God. And what you see from that point is a world and a generation that's lost, that's lost because they were separated from God. But God, because he loves us so much, he goes, you know what? I'm not gonna wait for them to get it right because they never do. I'm gonna do something to reconnect them to me. And so we see that in Galatians 4, 4. This is Paul speaking to the church in Galatians. He's explaining what God did. He said, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. How much does God want you? He wants to adopt you. He, want, he has chosen you. He says, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. He goes, I've sent the Holy Spirit into your heart so that you can know what I would like you to do. He says, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. See, God says, I, I made you my child, but not only that, it's not like I adopted you and I tell you to stay off to the side. I adopted you and I want to give you my power. I want to give you my inheritance. I want to give you my eternity. I want to walk with you in your daily life. See, God just changed the script. He goes, I need you to understand you are loved, you are cared for. And I sent my son so that we could have a relationship so that you can understand that you are mine and in me, you have 
identity. See, our identity gives us purpose, it gives us meaning. It helps us understand what we want and should do. But here's what we know, every single day, we have an enemy that wants to distort that. And here's what the enemy wants to do. Not only does he want to distort our identity, he wants to make it look like somebody else's is our enemy so we distort their identity. See, when we understand who we are, here is the next thing that we must do. We must identify who our enemy is and who our enemy is not. See, when we understand who our enemy is, we understand that it's Satan, we understand how he works and how he plays in our life. And we understand that our enemy, just like God, is not a person, but is spiritual. Ephesians six twelve says that. This is Paul, he's reminding us, he says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He's like, I need you to understand, your fight is not with anyone else, it's with Satan and his demons. This is a big deal because I think many times we get this wrong as Christians. You ever been in a situation where you've yelled or gotten mad at somebody and then found out later they weren't the one that did it? Right, I, this, this happens. The bigger your family you get, the more possibilities I think this happens. Like when it was just me and Chrissy, it was one or us, it was one or the other, we automatically knew. And, and so I gotta back up. Chrissy and I have a ongoing battle, not battle, discussion about the way the house should be set up. And I think every, every family has this discussion. It's a discussion of form or function, right? A form is, I want the house to look this way. I want it to be pristine. I always want it to be in the best shape. Function is, I want it to be the most livable. Like I want everything I need to be readily accessible. My wife is about everything looking perfect. I'm about everything being in the place I want it to be. For example, for about two months out of every year, I work out. <laughs> and during those two months, I drink a protein shake every morning. So I believe the blender should stay out on the counter. My wife thinks the blender is the ugliest thing ever created and needs to stay under the sink. I'm like, I don't wanna get up in the morning and take it out, that's a lot. I'm already gonna work out that day. That's a big deal. <laughs> but I think our longest discussion is whether or not the, the remote controls get to stay on the coffee table. Amen. This, is a, this is a big one because I'm like, babe, they were created for the coffee table. They love the coffee table. This is where they were designed for. They should be there when I get home from work or when we put the kids down to bed. I wanna just sit down on the couch, not think, pick up the remote and turn on the office and laugh. Like, that's what I wanna do. My wife believes the, the remotes belong in this, this, this basket underneath the entertainment center, which is at least six feet away. And we have had this discussion over and over and I've been like, Mabe, do you not love me? Do you not want me to just relax? And I've thrown everything against the wall. And after a while, I thought that I had won. And it just became the regular, it stayed on the coffee table. I'm like, this is amazing. Look, when people come over, we can put them away, but put them on the coffee table. Then one day I came home and they weren't on the coffee table. And I was tired and I was mad. And immediately I go, babe, what the heck? I thought we discussed this. Where's the remotes? They're supposed to be on the coffee table. Why'd you put them away? Why did you do this to me? And she starts smiling. And what I should have realized was it was a smile that I know something you don't know. <laughs> what I thought it was, was a smile of, I'm gonna do whatever I want and there's nothing you can do about it. So I continued the argument. 
I went on for about five minutes and then finally she said, how are you done? And when she says that, I'm like, ah, dang it. She's like, I didn't move your remotes, your son did. So you think I won that argument? No, why? Because I was fighting the wrong battle. Because hear me in this. So many times we have our enemy and what our enemy loves to do is he tries to convince us that somebody else is our enemy. He would love to convince us that a political party is our enemy. He'd love to convince us that a different ideology is our enemy. He'd love to convince us that people who sin different than we do are our enemies. But the truth is our enemy is him. Hear me on this, this is so important. When our enemy becomes a person, we lose the battle. When our enemy becomes a person, we've already lost the battle. And when this happens, it is so sad. And I've seen this happen throughout church history where I've seen individuals or groups of people that are put aside or set aside or demonized. Some of them because of what they believe, some of them for the sin they have committed. And we've said, hey, you can't come in here because you have committed this sin. And we tell them that they are defined by that sin. And it surprises us that when the church tells them that they are defined by that sin, that sin becomes their identity. Are we surprised that the world that we live in right now are identifying themselves by their sin? And I'm not saying it's totally on the church, but what I am saying is this, what Satan would love to happen, he loves to identify us by our sin. He would love it for the church or a person in the church to tell somebody they are their sin so he can come alongside and whisper to him, I told you, I told you. See, not only do we have to pay attention to who we are, when we don't know who our enemy is, we mess with who somebody else is. We should be encouraging them and who they are in Christ. See, what happens is when we realize who our enemy is, we see people as the broken, hurting people that we ought to. And instead of yelling at them or demonizing them, we walk alongside them. And we do what society doesn't think is possible, which is disagree with somebody and love them at the same time. The, the idea that we can't disagree with somebody and love them at the same time is the dumbest idea ever perpetrated. Yep. Guys, if that's true, how does marriage happen? Yep. That was an amen from my wife over there. <laughs> how does marriage happen? How does any relationship happen? How, do, how, how can you love your parents? How can you love your kids? Guys, what's so incredible about God is because we can agree on him, we can love everybody despite our differences. And it all starts though, when our identity is set in him, in him. And when our identity is set in Christ, it changes everything else. See, when our identity is set, here's what it does. It determines our assignment and our tactics. Here's what I mean by that. It determines what we do in the way that we do them. It's kind of like this, my, my, senior, my senior year, one, one game in my, uh, when I was playing basketball, one game of my senior year, we, we were playing this one team, my coach came up to me, he goes, Hal, here's what I want you to do. He goes, I want you to just focus on that guy. That's the best guy on their team. I want you just to focus on him. I want you to only guard him. I said, okay. He goes, I don't think you understand me. He goes, here's what I, what I mean. On defense, if somebody gets beat by their man, I don't want you to help out. I want you to just focus on him. 
like, okay. He goes, if somebody picks for him, I don't want you to roll with the other guy. I want you to stay with him. I'm like, okay. He goes, on offense, if he's guarding you, I want you to go stand in the corner. He's like, don't worry about shooting. Don't worry about being a part of it. I just want you to go over there. I said, okay, I can do that. And he goes, and how? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to talk to him the whole game. He's like, I'm like, all right, you want me to talk trash? He goes, no, you're bad at that. <laughs> talk to him. I'm like, okay. So I did that. I focused on him. The moment I even looked at somebody else, coach was like, focus on him. I'm like, all right. And I started talking to him. Started talking about his family. Started talking about his life. I think in the second quarter, I asked him if Jesus Christ was his Lord and Savior. Like I was just... <laughs> I was making up stuff as we were going along. My coach explains to me, he goes, here's the deal, how I need you to focus on him because if you focus on him, we will be able to do what we can do and we will win the game. Because if I wasn't focused on him, what would I be focused on? Everything else. I'd be focused on all the other players. I'd be focused on everything else I have to do. Hear me in this. Satan doesn't want you to focus on him. He just wants you to focus on anything but God. So what he loves to do is this. He loves to tell you your worth, your identity is caught up in the things you do or the roles that you play. He says your identity is anything but God. See, when our identity is in Christ, we look at our everyday things, the mundane, everything we go through, it has purpose. But when our identity is in our role, our goal is to win that role. And and I'm not saying it's like a bad identity. But when our identity is in something but God, it actually leads to an identity crisis many times. For example, some of you are parents and that's what your identity is right now. You're a mother or a father. What happens when the kids leave? You know, one of the biggest times of divorce is when kids leave the house. One of the biggest times of suicide is when kids leave the house. Why? Because people are in an identity crisis. Some of you, you identify yourself in the business that you own or the role that you play or whatever place that you are in a company. That's great, but what happens when you lose that job? What happens when that business goes out of business? What happens when you retire? Are you lost? And see, what happens is so many times we we wrap ourselves up in what we do or who we are. If your identity is, is wound up in your beauty or in your athleticism, age takes that away. Whether you like it or not, what happens then? See, what God wants us to do, it's not that he doesn't want us to play those roles. He just wants to make sure that our first identifier is not what we do, but him and who he is. See, when Christian goes in front of my roles, it changes. See, when I'm a Christian parent, I'm not just trying to raise a kid. I'm trying to raise a kid in the church. I'm trying to teach him God's laws. I'm trying to help them know how G- who Jesus is and how much he loves them. I'm trying to show them what a healthy marriage looks like. And if you're a single parent, you're showing your kids how to date and how to choose someone who's godly. If you're a Christian business owner or a Christian employee, it's not that you just want to win the day or make money. You're looking to win hearts. You're looking to win the person. Students, when you're a Christian student, it's not that you're just there to learn. It's that you're looking for opportunities that God is going to open up for kids that are around you that absolutely need to hear your truth. See, what Christian does is it tells us our assignments may change, but who we are never does. See, in life, I'm no longer just trying to win trying to do what God has called me to do, which is win hearts. In 2 
Corinthians 10, three to five. We've used this verse every single week and it's because it's what we're supposed to be. It says this, it says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We talked about this, right? Because our war is spiritual. It says we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of humans reasoning and destroy false arguments. These are false arguments that happen in our own mind and how we can help other people knock those down. It says we destroy every proud obstacle, proud obstacle because it's pride that is always an obstacle. It keeps us from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. See, we fight a different war. And the fight for our identity, it means this, when Christian is my first identifier, my role may change, but my identity never does. Hear me on this, when Christian is my first identifier, my role may change, but my identity never does. I'm always a child of God. I am always with him. See, and this is the big thought. There's a daily battle in our minds over who we are and whose we are. And here's what I need you to understand. It may seem so simple, so, so small every single day to decide that, every single day to get up in the morning and go, I am God's and I am a child of God. But when we win that battle daily, what happens is those battles add up and we start to wage war against the enemy. See, when our identity is set in Christ, that's exactly what we do. We wage war. We wage war every single day day. And what may seem like small victories turns into God doing an incredible miracle. I think an incredible example of this in the Bible is a guy named Daniel. I think many times we, we look at Daniel and we take his life and we, we section it down to just two events, which is very unfair. And it's, a, it's Daniel in the lion's den, which actually happened in his latter part of life. When he was elderly, he was thrown into the lion's den because he wouldn't stop praying to God. And when that happened, God shut the lion's mouth and allowed him to live, which is an incredible miracle, but it's just a small part of what Daniel did. There's also Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which were his friends who wouldn't bow down to the king and they were thrown into the fiery furnace, but God saved them. And so when we think of Daniel, we think of those two stories, but really the story of Daniel is faithfulness. In spite living in a place that was trying to steal his identity. See, Daniel was taken in by the Babylonians. The Israelites were conquered by the Babylonians. They took some people back to Babylon because here's what they wanted to do. They wanted to indoctrinate them so that they could go back and be these rulers that would just live out the Babylonian lifestyle. And so Daniel was one of these guys that was brought in. And for three years, for three years, he was taught the occult. For three years, he was taught the way to live immoral lifestyle. And here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. Because he did what he was supposed to do, God blessed him and he actually graduated at the top of his class. Students, when the teachers are teaching something you don't believe in, it doesn't mean you don't learn it. Understand it so when you have the conversation later, you can tell them what you believe. But not only that, not only was, he, was his mind messed with for three years, they changed his name. Daniel means God is my judge. They changed his name to Belshazzar, which means Satan's prince or Baal's prince. Imagine that. They changed his name from God is my judge to Satan's prince. On top of that, many believe this, they castrated him. 
They took away his ability to have kids, which was huge in Israelite culture. That's your legacy, that's what you leave. They took away his ability to be married. They're trying to change everything that he is. He's, he's serving a king that doesn't believe in God. He's living in a place. Guys, I need you to understand how bad Babylon is. At the end of Revelation, when the angels are talking about hell ending, they refer to it as Babylon. Not Sodom and Gomorrah, not Vegas, Babylon. That's how bad it was. And this is where Daniel is. Yet what we see him doing every single day is waking up, praying, reminding himself who God is and who he is. We don't see him on the corner telling everybody they're sinners. We don't see him performing incredible miracles. He knew who he was and whose he was. God moved him up for opportunities. When I say opportunities, Daniel, through his faithfulness, led three national revivals. Three national revivals, that's the miracle. See, hear me in this. When we win our daily battle, the war that we win may not be a national revival, but it may be a revival in your family. It may not be a national revival, but it may be a revival in your school. It may be a revival in your work. It may be a revival in your community. But it's only possible if we remember who we are so that God tells us what we ought to do daily. I love the story where Jesus is with the disciples. He's walking through an area called Caesarea Philippi. And in that area, there was this cave, this massive cave that the, the, there was a sound that came out of it. And they actually believed it was the gate to hell or the, the gate to the underworld. And so Jesus decides in this moment to kind of teach his disciples. And he asks his disciples this question first. He says, who do people say that I am? And they have an answer. And then he asks them, he goes, who do you say I am? And Peter, of course, is the one that speaks up. He says, you are the son of God. And he says, Peter, the only way you could have known it is the Holy Spirit told you. And then he told Peter this, affirming who he was and whose he was. In Matthew 16, 18, he says, and I tell you, I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock. He goes, I'm defining you. You are a rock for God. He says, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He's saying, I need you to understand this, Peter. If you remember who you are and whose you are and you do what I have called you to do, the gates of hell will not stand against us, which means this, we have the opportunity as Christians to depopulate hell. We have the opportunity as Christians to reach people, to defeat death and to help them receive eternal life in our God. So we have that ability every single day. I need you to understand what we're offering is so important. I think so many times when we lose sight of who we are and whose we are, we forget how great our God is. We forget all that he's done for us. We forget how he changes hearts, how he heals wounds, how he brings us so many things. We've got an entire world looking for acceptance. We have people that spend their entire lives wondering if they're accepted by the people that are around them. God says, you're already accepted. We have people that are looking for value. Am I valuable? God says, I love you so much. I sent my son to die for you. People are looking for identity. God says, I've chosen you. I love you. You are my child. I am adopting you into my family. You are my heir. People going, I just want my life to matter. God goes, I can give you a life that matters eternally, that goes beyond the day to day and is so much more. See, as Christians, we have the opportunity to do this. 
We have this opportunity to walk, walk forward, but it starts right here. Every day, choosing to follow after God. See, here's what's incredible, is God's not just sitting up in heaven telling us to just, hey, just serve me. He goes, I wanna walk with you. I wanna have a relationship with you. And in that relationship, I will affirm who I am and who you are. And in that relationship, I will encourage you in your giftings and in your talents, and I will show you the way to live your life. Here's what I know for some of you in this room, for the first time, maybe it's making sense. For the first time you're sitting there, you're going, you know what? I've tried to identify who I am. I've tried to do things my own way. And you know what? It's not working. I am a bad God. And I want value. I want acceptance. And I want an identity. And I realize God is the only one that can give it to me. So today, if, if that's you and you wanna start that relationship with God, because that's what it is, it's a relationship. I'm gonna say a prayer out loud in just a moment that you can say quietly right where you're at and start that relationship today. So if we could, all across the room, online, on our campuses, if we could just bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm gonna say a prayer out loud that you, right where you're at, can say quietly and start that relationship. Dear God, I know that I've sinned. God, please forgive me. God, I believe your son, Jesus, came down to this world, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, but that he rose again and defeated death. God, today I'm giving you my life and receiving your free gift of salvation. God, I thank you for giving me value. I thank you for giving me purpose. I thank you for giving me an identity in you. God, we thank you. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. And if you pray that prayer today is the best decision you will ever make. And it's the first step to putting your identity in Christ. But people ask, all right, so how do I keep focused on that? How you say, you know, you need to set your mind every morning. How do I do that? And I think we get our answer from what Satan didn't do. Because I don't know if you guys know this, Satan was the worship leader in heaven. And his problem started the moment he stopped worshiping God and started worshiping himself. So the answer to remembering who we are and whose we are is worship. We do it like Daniel did. We start off our days in prayer. And when we pray, what we do is we do this. We say, God, you're God. And I realize I'm dependent on you for guidance. I realize I'm dependent on you for my life and my identity. We spend time in God's word, please. Spend time in God's word. Here's why, the enemy knows this book better than you do. And if you don't know what it says about God, he will misconstrue it. We spend time in biblical community because we all need encouragement. We spend time serving because when I serve, I'm saying, God, you have blessed me with this. And because of that, I'm gonna follow after you. And we spend time worshiping him through singing. I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons we come together in this corporate environment is so that we can sing and we can be reminded of who God is. So right now, here's what I'm gonna ask. Everyone at all campuses, let us stand. And let us stand and let us sing and remind ourselves that we are a child of God. Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.